Welcome to the broadcast of the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. Our desire is that today's message will multiply God's grace to you. To contact us, please call us at 208-331-4096. We'll repeat that number again at the end of our broadcast today. But now, here is our speaker, Joel Van Hoogen. If you think of missions as that ministry where parents send their sons and daughters to faraway lands and strange peoples to live out their lives among them as witnesses of God's wonderful gospel, then you have rightly identified missions, I think. And for that matter, you've struck upon the missionary heart of the Christmas story that we celebrate once a year. For it's a story of God the Father sending His only begotten Son out from His heavenly home into the faraway place of our dark and ruined world so that he might bring to us the good news of his life given and sacrificed to redeem us from our sins. We are reminded that missions is God's idea, and it is driven by his heartbeat for the lost. So we've learned to pray for missions, and we've learned to pray for missions in a certain number of ways. And I have been trying to keep these and hold them in my mind And when I take my times of prayer, I've tried to rehearse myself in these things. We pray for new workers, and as we pray for new workers, we also pray that God would, we would be obedient to God ourselves to go into the harvest field. We pray for unity among Christians because we understand that when Christians are not united, it imperils the work and the labor that we're to be involved in. And so we pray for unity in relationships, and we pray uniquely for a unity at the task at hand of taking the gospel to people all around us. We pray for deliverance from despair and depression and death. And we took 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-11 through 11 there, where Paul says that they despaired even as unto death and that they were rescued by the prayers of many. And he calls upon the people of the Corinthians to continue to pray for them. And so we pray that God would protect the worker from physical death, but also that God would lift the worker up in the midst of his ministry from the encroachment and the shadow of death that comes upon them and the discouragement and the depression when you work in such dark places. Lord, bring yourself before them as an ever-present help in the time of need. Lord, grant them perseverance and endurance in the midst of the trials that they face. Lord, use every weakness that they have to show to them your strength. Sanctify them through their encounters and through their discouragement in order that they might know your power to proclaim your gospel everywhere they go. God, do this, and as you're praying it, don't you, don't you sense God do this for me? Do this in my own life? Let my life and let my message and let my witness transcend the discouragement and the pale of death that is all around us. We pray for a bold and clear proclamation or enunciation of the gospel, and we've got that from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Most of us, we noted, are not naturally courageous proclaimers of God's gospel. Actually, none of us should be naturally courageous proclaimers of God's gospel. We need the supernatural boldness that only God can give us. A supernatural boldness that is attended with a supernatural clarity that will penetrate into the hearts of people. And so God leaves us fearful before the mission and the task for a purpose. Because the only ability that God wants is our availability Everything else needs to be His enabling, His empowering. In fact, the adequate inadequacy is what we need when coming before the gospel. That is, to feel we are completely inadequate brings us to a point where we are open to take upon ourselves God's utter adequacy for the call that He's given to us to proclaim the gospel. Bold and clear proclamations of the gospel. The fifth thing that we considered last week is new 
opportunities for the clear speaking of the gospel. We took that from Colossians chapter 4. That is, God opened before us doors to proclaim this gospel to more and more individuals. And we learned last week that we're to pray that steadfastly and we're to pray those prayers watchfully. And that is, we're to continue to pray those prayers and we're to keep our eyes out while we're praying those prayers, studying and seeing how God is working. That is, we're to pray them strategically and responsibly to what's happening around us. And we're to pray those prayers, hopefully, remembering what God has done for us in the past. And we're to pray those prayers at the ready. God, if we're praying for open doors, let me be ready to pounce through the open door myself. And we reminded ourselves last week that Paul asked for this prayer for an open door while he was in prison. While he was in prison. That's the request he makes in Colossians. He writes a series of letters from that prison cell, and the last one he writes is Philippians. And there he says, listen, it was God's purpose that I should be here in prison because as a result, this gospel has been broadcast throughout all the palace guard. And people have been emboldened to preach the gospel. And what that tells us is God answered the prayers. And God opened a door for them in the midst of all those seeming restrictions. So, yes, it's oftentimes appropriate. And Paul is even, I'm sure they're praying while they're praying for Paul, that Paul would have a release from his prison. And so it's appropriate to see beyond your circumstances and pray for opportunities that are out beyond what your current situation is. But only if by faith you can realize that even in that restricted circumstance, God has doors that can open up for you. God, don't let me forsake the opportunities that are right before me. Help me to see them. Now we come to the sixth point of prayer. And that is that we pray for the rapid spreading and acceptance of the gospel message from 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 1. Just one verse. Finally, brothers... Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead, run ahead, and be crowned or honored as it happened among you. It's clear from the prayer that what Paul is asking for is a rapid reception of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the hearts and the lives and the communities and the societies in which that gospel is being introduced. The prayer is that God's word would run to the rescue that it would race through. The word honored there is the word crowned. The idea here or the image that's being put forward in these words here is of a runner who wins the victory and is crowned for his swift victory. Basically, what we're being taught to pray here is may the gospel rapidly win the day and crown the lives of those who receive it in greater and greater fashion. May it win the day in a rapid succession over individual, over individual, sweeping in more and more until whole societies and communities are transformed by its power. Paul is, by the way, writing to those who are in Thessalonica. It was the second city that the gospel came to in Europe. You might remember that Paul had a vision of the Macedonian man, and they understood that God was calling them from Asia over into Europe, and the first place that they went to was Philippi. And there they found Lydia, and they found a little Bible study, and there were people that responded to the gospel, and there was an activity of the gospel there. It created such a stir that it began to cause the communities to be stirred up in such a way that the leaders of the city were offended by it, and they grabbed hold of Paul and Silas, and they beat him, and they threw him into prison. Paul will say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that they were shamefully treated before they came into Thessalonica. That's right, they were shamefully treated in Philippi. They were beaten, they were put in the stocks, and they were thrust in the middle of a prison, and while they were there, they sang praises, and God in the middle of the night caused an earthquake. Out of that, they 
led the Philippian jailer to Christ with all of his family, and it doesn't appear that they remained in Philippi much longer. And then we're told that the brothers sent them on their way at the end of Acts chapter 16 to Thessalonica. And so the second city they come to is Thessalonica. And here the gospel, just getting its introduction into Europe, comes into this city. Well, the very way in which Paul says you ought to pray that the gospel would move and spread rapidly is the very way in which it came to the people in Thessalonica. It came on them fast. It was received as a strong and immediate and positive response among those who received it. Actually, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And let's read verses 5 through 10 together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. And you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you were made examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For you sounded, the word there is, you trumpeted out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith towards God has been spread abroad, so that we don't need to speak anything, for they themselves tell us of the manner of our entry that we had among you, and how you have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. little historical context here again. In Acts chapter 17, at the very beginning of that chapter, we learn that Paul came into Thessalonica and he preached in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. And that he preached Christ's suffering, he preached his death, he preached his resurrection. In 1 Thessalonians here, we read that he also preached that Christ was coming and returning to judge and bring God's wrath upon men. And at the same time, that men may escape that wrath through the deliverance that he offers in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. And individuals who believed and trusted in Christ escaped that wrath of the coming Lord Jesus Christ. We also see what Paul's application was to his message. After he spoke of Christ's coming, of his Christ's death, of Christ's burial, of Christ's resurrection, of his coming again to judge, he called upon all those to receive the word they gave by turning from idols, turning away from all of their idols to serve God alone. And that message was received. It was received with such excitement and such a radical claim that the reception of it began to spread to all those around them. Again, in Acts chapter 17, we see that Paul was in Thessalonica for a short period of time. We're told that he preached in the synagogue for three Sabbaths, that then also there was established near that synagogue in the home of a man named Jason, a meeting place where those who responded to the gospel could begin to be instructed. We're told that A few of the Jews believed, and many of the Gentiles believed at that time. So, looking at that, what we can understand is that he was there for at least three weeks, probably a little bit longer than that, before he moved on from that place, because the Jews in Thessalonica that rejected the word began to resist him and cause him problems, and he moved on to an area called Berea. And from Berea, he had to move on to Athens. But here's what took place. The gospel came to Thessalonica with such power and the community was shook up in such a way that it took not a period of years, took not a period of months, but it happened in a period of weeks. This was a community that had 
never had any witness of the gospel in it prior to that time. Never. This is only the second city in all of Europe with all the different tribal groups and all the different unique ethnic expressions. It's only the second place where the gospel has come. Based upon all that, in response to that, identifying that as their own experience, Paul says to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians here, pray that this will be the same way in which the gospel will move out ahead of me in every place. Pray for its speedy reception among individuals and among groups of people and in communities. Pray that it will crown their lives as it races in among them. That's how we're to pray for missions. We're to pray that God would do a fast work, a quick work, a great work, a speedy work that would sweep over individual lives, over communities and nations and transform them dramatically and wonderfully in a short period of time, rapidly moving out. Why should we pray this way? Well, here are the points of the message. The first one is this. We should pray this way because this is the way that the gospel generally moves. We should pray this way because this is the way the gospel generally moves. This may not be always what takes place, but this is the optimal expression of how the gospel takes shape and moves in the lives of individuals and in communities. It brings a rapid overthrow by its power from people's idolatries and from their false worship. It produces an immediate surrender to those who yield to it, an immediate surrender to the life of Christ to serve and obey Him and follow Him. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.